The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com There's a different, a different angle that I want to take uh, today uh, when it comes to peace, but um, I think I've told this story before because I, I like to tell this story when it comes to uh, talking about peace because I think it's a great uh, example of, I think, where we are in our culture. Um, but we've all gotten to the place, I'm sure, in our lives where we are just exhausted from the daily grind. I mean, the daily grind is just a reality for us. We, we become overwhelmed by expectations, expectations that we have from work, expectations that we have uh, from family, uh, social commitments that we make. A lot of us have a lot of social commitments that we make, and we get wore out with the social stuff unless you're an extrovert. If you're an extrovert, then you feed off of that stuff, and we need that, right? So, but a lot of us, we need, the, we need a place, even extroverts, we need a place where we come to the place of peace and quiet. And, and that's nice when we can get to that place where we got peace and quiet. But my question today is, what about needing the peace and quiet of a nice, structured jail cell? Wait, what? Jail cell? The Mockingbird blog, <laughs> they noted a story about a mock prison where inmates, quote unquote inmates, will pay $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement away from all phones, clocks, and people. Wow. Photographer Kim Hongji shows inmates meditating and resting, depositing cell phones into baskets. Don't know what this says about me, but it all looks just a little bit wonderful. The facility is called the prison inside me, and the name seems telling that the self could be a prison that we might need to utterly lock down in an actual prison in order to get some rest. Uh, Park says, I was too busy. She sat in a 54 square foot cell. I shouldn't be here right now, given the work I need to do, but I decided to pause and look back at myself for a better life. Clients actually get a blue prison uniform. So we know this is not the US. Yeah, because ours are orange, right? Uh, the blue prison <laughs> uniform. So you get a blue prison uniform, you get a yoga mat, you get a tea set, a pen, and a notebook. You sleep on the floor. There's a small toilet inside of the room, but no mirror. Whew, thank God. The menu includes steamed sweet potato and a banana shake for dinner. Uh, oh, and for dinner, uh, rice porridge uh, for breakfast. The co-founder, uh, Ji Hyung, said that the mock prison was inspired by her husband, a prosecutor who often put in 100-hour work weeks. And, she, and he said that he would rather go into solitary confinement for a week to take a rest and feel better. That was the beginning. She said some customers are wary of spending 24 to 48 hours in a prison cell until they actually do it. After they stay in prison, people say, this is not a prison. The real prison is where I'm going to go back to. 
See, I think many of us could probably relate to this. We could probably relate to how some of them may feel. I mean, do we actually feel like we're sitting in prison? Would, uh, would sitting in prison actually be a time of actual peace away from everything that's going on in life? I mean, life is just uh, super chaotic, is what, what we'll say. It's super chaotic. There are places to go, people to see, people to avoid, <laughs> and too much time to get paranoid. It's just, we got deadlines. We got children to pick up. We got something after something after something. Every so often, I like to check in with some of my friends who are retired. And, you know, I'll ask them. Like, uh, the last person I asked about this was uh, Randy Meyer. And I was just like, hey, Randy, um, are you getting the rest that you were hoping you were going to get when you retired? Because, you know, that's what we all think. We retire from work. We're just going to get to be able to get a lot of rest. And he says, many times, Shane, I actually feel like I'm more busy <laughs> now that I'm retired than I was when I was working. I can't remember all the circumstances with this, but uh, one of my busy friends was stuck at his hotel for a couple of days because of a storm in Florida. And he didn't have his charger because it was supposed to be an in and out trip. He was supposed to leave that day and he was supposed to come back that day. So he didn't bring his phone charger. And, and the rules in the hotel because the storm was so bad that he couldn't leave his hotel room. And he said all he did was sleep and read his Bible. He said he couldn't remember how, when the last time he felt so refreshed. He said, of all the vacations I ever took, this was by far the most restful. He was able to let go. See, and I think one of the reasons why uh, we can't get peace is we don't know how to let go. Right? You ever hear that saying, let go and let God? right? Can't do it. I mean, I, I like the saying, it makes a lot of sense, but man, it is really hard to do. Well, that's why a lot of us can't sleep at night because we just don't know how to let go of things and just let it go and leave it in God's hands. And, and we find out just how hard it is. Many times the reason, um, the reasons for the daydreaming, I, I call it sometimes zoning out, I'll zone out because I don't know how to shut my mind off. Uh, Every night when I pray, I let it all go, I give it to God, but somehow, some way, by the time my head hits the pillow, it's all back. It's like, it's just, you know, a couple of seconds, you pray, all right, God, it's all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God's got it. And it's so funny how just a couple of seconds it is for us to stand up, to get into bed, head hits the pillow, and it's just like, you know what, God, you're taking too long. I got to figure this out. <laughs> we, we, we struggle with it. We, we have difficulty um, trying to, up all night, trying to figure things out, and then we wake up the next morning and still not have it figured out, and then we go, hey, you know what? Maybe I should just give this to God. 
Today, we rest upon our Advent theme, peace. It's amazing how we can have peace even when there are wars and difficulty around us, when there's unrest around us, faced with difficulty, faced with trials, faced with suffering, faced even with death, and we can still have peace. There's a story that's told about saints Perpetua and Felicity, a young noblewoman and her slave. They were martyred for their faith in AD 203 under the emperor Severus. At the time of their arrest, Perpetua had an infant son and Felicity was pregnant. While she was in prison, Perpetua wrote about the circumstances leading up to their death in a diary. In her diary, Perpetua described an interaction with her father as he came and he begged her to recant. While we were still under arrest, my father, out of love for me, was trying to persuade me to shake my resolution. Father, I said, do you see this vase here, for example? Yes, I do, he said. I told him, could it be called any other name than what it is? And her father said, no. Well, so too, I can't be called anything other than what I am. I am a Christian. Prior to their arrest, the women had been studying the scriptures and were preparing for baptism. They were baptized in prison by their teacher who was in prison with them. Their prison warden was so inspired by their faith that he actually converted to Christianity. As penalty for professing the name of Christ, Perpetua and Felicity were sentenced to death. Yet, with God's peace in their hearts, they remained serene in the face of their faith. A note from an editor at the end of Perpetua's diary describes the day of their victory dawned and they marched from the prison to the amphitheater joyfully as they were going to heaven with calm faces, trembling, if at all, with joy rather than fear. Perpetua went along with shining countenance and calm step as the beloved of God, as a wife of Christ, putting down everyone's stare by her own intense gaze." Perpetua and Felicity were thrown into an arena of wild animals, but they were not killed. Tragically, the emperor Severus then commanded that they be put to death by the sword. It's the power of peace that they kept talking about when it came to this, in, this event here, when it came to two women of, of faith who stood up for their faith, even in the face of death, and they kept talking about the peace the peace of these women. We can, by the power of peace, overcome the valley of the shadow of death. This is why we can say we will not fear. But how is it that we can have fear? Or how is it that we can have peace? We can have peace because of what we call the gospel of Jesus. The baby born in a manger. Christ the Lord has come. Peace on earth. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the light. Father, I pray that that light continues to shine even more bright during this season. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, guess what? We got one thing to talk about today. It's called the gospel of peace. It's the only thing that we're gonna look at. Our thesis statement today is this. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to fall into more and more unrest and struggle, 
It is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see and know the peace of God in our hearts and life and life more abundant in Christ. So let's take a look at it. Point number one, the gospel of peace. This is the peace that comes from good news. Now, just as kind of a quick backdrop, backdrop, he's talking about the armor of God and he's talking about Christians living a life where there's battle. See, that's the other thing we got to remember. Christians, we are in a battle. This is a fight. The time that we're here on earth, it is a fight. That's why Ephesians chapter six, he's talking about putting on the full armor of God. Okay, so the last time I checked, we don't put an armor of God on to go out to dinner with our family. Well, maybe some of y'all do. <laughs> Especially when it comes to family. <laughs> the Thanksgiving day. Woo, yeah, I get you. But normally, we understand putting armor on because we're about ready to go into battle. That's the life of a Christian. Life, Christianity, it's a battle. It's a struggle. And God gives us these things for us to be able to fight in a battle. Now, very, very important, something that serves as, as being foundational is, um, is, and I've read just not a ton, but like a little bit of stuff when it comes to battle as to how important our feet are. <laughs> That's why shoes was a very, very important thing uh, for soldiers. Uh, they talk about it all the time. They, they, they made special shoes for Roman soldiers and special shoes the Greek soldiers had. It was just all these things about shoes. Even, um, even when the Mongols were doing their, their thing, they, they were talking about shoes and how important shoes are. And so this is kind of the idea. When it comes to putting on the armor of God, we see in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about shoes. Here it is, shoes. And for shoes, we are to put on the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus. Why are the shoes important? Because um, our feet are in... <laughs> I'm sorry. I just saw your daughter out there. This is hilarious. <laughs> I wish I could videotape that or take a picture of it. Hi, Cece. Hi. Are you dead? Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, back. I'm focused. I'm focused. It, it's like, it's like, okay, so you guys know that I, I train MMA, right? So one of the things is, is that, you know, there's my kickboxing classes. And kickboxing classes, one of the things that uh, our, our professors, our coaches, they're all very, very adamant about our feet, Okay, about how you stand. So you don't stand with your feet together while you're, you know, you're boxing and doing the stuff. Um, it's all about feet. It's all about how you stand. It's about how you move. It's about balance, all this stuff. So the feet are is very, very foundational to when it comes to conflict. That's one of the things that we focus on, how you move your feet. Because moving your feet and how you stand will give you a strong foundation to be able to withstand and in order for you to deliver, you see. So, you know, it's, it's the power of your punch, Believe it or not, it's, it's like from the bottom up. It goes from the feet, foundation, to the hips, power of your punch. How you take somebody's punch, 
feet, everything foundational, boom, everything. It's all starting with your feet. Sometimes when, I, when I'm sparring and we're sparring with individuals, my coach will run up and he goes, stop, and we're supposed to freeze. So we're going, boom, they say freeze. And then he'll come and he'll push to see how our feet was when we were doing it. Because he's checking to see our feet, our foundation. You don't have a foundation, there is no fight. No foundation, no fight. <laughs> That's why when she's, she's alive, <laughs> Uh, and, that's, and that's one of my biggest things. You can ask my wife. When we're sparring, what is the first thing I'm doing when I'm sparring? Believe it or not, when you know, we think about sparring, everyone's thinking about punching the other person in the face, right? That's not what I'm thinking. The first thing I'm thinking when I'm sparring with you is I'm trying to, I'm trying to clip at your legs. I'm trying to chop at your legs, chop at your feet. You know why? Because if I can knock you off balance, it's way easier to punch you in the face. <laughs> Feet, foundation is so, so important, okay? No feet, no fight. There is no fight, Christian. There is no fight in this world if we don't have our shoes properly fitted. And what is our shoes supposed to be fitted with? The gospel of Jesus. Gospel is so foundational. We're not going to be able to stand. We're not going to be able to withstand. We're not going to be able to do what it is that God calls us to do if we don't have our foundation set. And as a Christian, our foundation needs to be set by the gospel. That's why you see a lot of Christians fall into ruin. And when they do, one of the questions I like to ask them when they're in this spot is, can you tell me what you believe the gospel is? Nine times out of ten, they get it wrong that individuals' lives are in disarray because they don't understand the gospel. We think we understand the gospel, but we find out that they don't. And that's the reason why everything is falling apart because their foundations are all messed up. Very important for us to understand the importance of the gospel of peace. This is the point of this passage of scripture. Dr. Kent Hughes, he writes, the spiritual lesson here is perfectly clear. It is the gospel of peace, the peace that comes to us in and through the gospel and makes us immovable in battle. We'll be immovable in battle if we understand and, we're, and, and our foundations is the gospel of peace. The gospel, foundational. Do we have the gospel right? Do we understand the gospel? Hopefully, if you guys have been coming to this church by now, and I know some of you have been here since, I've, since I started, you know, uh, Linda, Linda Rivers sitting right over here, you know, her, her, her mom used to be sitting over, well, actually, you guys were sitting over there, actually. Yeah, you moved. It's starting a new legacy. If you've been here since I've been here, and some of you have been here, and, I've, and come January, I will have been here for seven years. Every single Sunday, I tell you what the gospel is. Every single Sunday for seven years I had. So if you are a member of Central Baptist Church, and you have, especially if you've been here for seven years, if you don't have the gospel right now, shame on you. Me and the deacons are going to be standing by the door with whips, and we are going to flog you <laughs> till you all get to... <laughs> the gospel makes us immovable in battle. 
It doesn't matter what comes to you, you'll be able to stand. It doesn't matter the trial, tribulation, all these things. It, all these things can come against you, come upon you, and you will be able to stand. We have to have peace to be ready. The reason why many of us are losing our battles today is because we do not have peace of mind and peace in our hearts. We don't have good feet. No feet, no fight. And if the Bible is making it clear, we're supposed to be soldiers. We are soldiers in the land. Very, very important for us to understand that. That's, that's the big reason why you see in the Old Testament there's so much that has to do with war, so much that has to do with battles. The Israelites are always fighting battles, always doing this stuff. Yeah, giving us a wonderful picture of what it is for us to be Christians today. We're still fighting a battle. There's still a war. Again, our, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty for pulling down strongholds. We are still in a battle. We are still in a war. You don't have good feet. You won't have victory. No feet, no fight, no peace, no power. But maybe the reason why we're having a problem today in the church today especially is because we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. Maybe that's why we're having a difficult time. We're looking for peace in all the wrong places. We know we need peace. People in the world know that they need peace. But are we looking for peace in all the wrong places? I mean, think about this. An actual prison cell, more peaceful than the world? See, I understand, the, the, understand what they're saying here. <laughs> you know, in that, in that, in that il opening illustration that I gave you, that's the alternative? That's better? You see how dysfunctional our thinking can become? But even if we do that, we can't stay there. And even if you do stay there, I'm sure it's going to get old. <laughs> and I'm sure we're, not, we're going to not get into a place where we're not feeling peace anymore. Peace that we need only comes from resting our lives on the gospel and understanding that our purpose here on earth is to glorify God, period. See, this is where I know it gets difficult and I know it gets hard. Peace only, the true peace, the peace that we need only comes from resting our lives on the gospel and understanding that our purpose here on earth is to glorify God. That's it. Now, I know some of you may feel that wrestling match. I can, I, you know, maybe it's happening inside of your, your spirit right, now, right inside here and you're just wrestling with that. Like saying, really? Our only purpose here on earth is to glorify God? See, this is where it gets difficult. This is why we struggle. This is why we have problems today. Because we're misunderstanding the reason why we are here. The reality is, there is no peace apart from Christ. But because we don't trust Christ, or because when He actually delivers, it's not in accordance to what we believe our purpose is here on earth. 
So it's like, you know, God, you're not giving me peace. And then the Lord gives us peace. And we get the peace and we go, wait a minute, this isn't the kind of peace I'm needing. Well, what kind of peace are you needing? I need the kind of peace that's going to help me fulfill my true calling in life. And that is to be happy. And that is to not have any problems in life. And for me to enjoy everything in life. To live life to its fullest. To have everything that, you know, I could possibly have in my life here on earth. That's my purpose in life. Well, if that's your purpose in life, then yeah. The peace that Christ is giving is not going to help. Making sure that we get to the place where we truly understand why we are here. We recognize and realize that my whole purpose here on earth is to bring glory to God. That when Christ gives me the peace, it's like, ah, this is the peace that I needed. See, if we truly understand our purpose, right? To give you an example. If we understand and recognize that our purpose is to glorify God, then when we do have difficulty, when we do have struggle, we're not asking the Lord for relief. We're asking the Lord for wisdom. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Shane. Hit the brakes there. What are you talking about? Because if we truly understand and realize that our whole purpose here on earth is to glorify God, then we understand the real nature of suffering. And when I go through trials and I go through tribulations, I'm not asking the Lord to hit the eject button so I can get out. I'm asking the Lord to give me wisdom so I can withstand the fire. Sure, God could have I mean, do you think that God has the power? He could have stopped Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from getting thrown into the fire. He could have stopped it, right? Like, they're about ready to get thrown in, and they whoop, throw in there's some miraculous force field that blocks the furnace, and then they bounce back. Well, that was weird. No, they got thrown into the fire. And what happened when they got thrown into the fire? Then there was the fourth. People saw this and were like, whoa. Whoa. This is incredible. This is amazing. And God was glorified. Can God be glorified when we're thrown into the furnace? Yeah. Can God be glorified when we're thrown into the fire? Yeah. What's our purpose here on earth? Why are we here? We're able to do this, ready for battle, to advance, because we have peace with God. Again, this is why I preach the gospel every single week, because it is the foundation. If the foundation is bad, can a building stand? No. 
This is why we've got to make sure our foundation is strong, understanding that the peace that we get from the gospel, it's our source, it's our motivation, it's our power. This is the gospel. The law tells us where we need to go. The gospel is how we're going to get there. The gospel empowers, not the law. The law kills. The gospel has got to be the reason for our growth, the reason for our energy, the reason for our motivation. Anything else will be works righteousness and an affront to the Lord, and we will not have peace with God if we keep trying to live our lives that way. It must be a peace that comes from the gospel, the celebration of all that Christ has said and all that Christ has done, because there is no peace apart from Christ. And nowhere else in scripture, it's very, very well dis- declared here. Romans chapter five, verse one, Romans five, one. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. So what does this mean? It means there's no peace apart from Christ. We need to be screaming this from the mountaintop to the world, to everyone. I, I, the, the reality, I have not known a person to have real peace in their hearts apart from Christ. I've known people who say that they have peace, but when you really press and you really try, it's not really peace. They're just okay with their situation. There's a difference, you know? It's just like, yeah, I have peace with God. I know there's no more enmity between me and God because of what Christ has done. But this individual is just like, yeah, there's still enmity with me and God. Yes, I don't have forgiveness. Yes, I am still plagued by guilt. I'm still under condemnation, the condemnation of sin, but I'm good with it. And anytime I'm really bothered by it, I just roll up a little doobie, smoke it, and I'm good. The brilliant philosopher, atheistic philosopher, brilliant, Albert Camus, he even said that the only logical thing to do in this merry-go-round world of life is to commit suicide. That's, I mean, when, when you watch and you read and you follow his line of reasoning, if you're going to live life without God, no God in your life, and everything is nothing, everything is meaningless, all this stuff, he just says, yeah, in this merry-go-round of life, you should commit suicide. Now, he says you can either do it physically or you can do it mentally. Just, just don't believe anything and just lose your mind. And in our culture, we are too lazy to pursue it. And, and we just wait passively, yet desperately, for peace to just fall into our lap. But there is no peace apart from Christ. And because we don't trust Christ, and because when he delivers, it is not in accordance to what we believe our purpose is here on earth. Many will pursue it actively. Many will pursue peace desperately, wildly, irresponsibly, hoping that it's going to come through money, through relationships, through sex, or the accumulation of knowledge, or experiential exploration, chemical abuse, drugs, alcohol, witchcraft, pornography, 
pornography, visual stimulations, social distractions, and anything that will cause an escape, but all they ever really find is temporary relief. And we're back in the pain of the daily grind again. And in the end, they say, I just can't find no peace. That's the reason why they go back, to get the temporary relief. And then they need the temporary relief to become a lifestyle. And it needs to be something that I don't just experience every once in a while. It's got to be something that I experience all the time. It's called addiction. I just got to have it all the time. Even Solomon, with all his exploits, said that all of these things on earth will not bring the satisfaction and peace that we're looking for. Because the reality is, this peace can only come from Christ and Christ alone. That's it. And what an awesome peace it is. Dr. Kent Hughes, he writes, but when a person finds peace with God through Christ, it is wonderful. Knowing that one's sins are forgiven and forgotten through Jesus Christ is the grandest knowledge one can have. The solid awareness that one is reconciled to God is joyfully sublime. The greatest thing. Uh, Dr. Hendrickson, he writes, a person who experiences within his own heart the peace of God that passes all understanding, the very peace which the gospel proclaims has been delivered of a great burden. Not just a burden, a great burden. I mean, isn't it like a common thing? Like when, when people become Christians and you see the conversion happen in their life and you ask them, like, well, what was it like for you when that happened? You know, you ask somebody, like, when you became a Christian, that moment you believed that Jesus Christ was Lord and conversion came and you were born again, you were regenerated, what was it like? Do you know what I get probably eight, eight times out of ten when I ask people that? Shane, it was like a peace came upon me. Isn't that... And then don't you hear that? It was like peace. Some of you may even say that. Yeah, Shane, that, that moment when that happened, it was just like everything was peaceful. Like everything I've been fighting, the, the chaos, everything, it just stopped. I can say that for me, when that happened, 13-year-old teenager, believe it or not, wrestling with this stuff, like, you know, the angst, the guilt, the condemnation, all of this stuff, because, you know, I, I was brought up in a, it was, it was funny, my household uh, with my, I have a very traditional Japanese household, and I was growing up, and it was like, you heard Christianity and Buddhism at the same time. So if you mix Christianity and Buddhism together, you get works righteousness. <laughs> That's essentially what happens. So I lived my life knowing I remember living my life knowing the law, knowing all the things I'm supposed to do, and knowing that if I do not accomplish this thing, I was going to go to hell. So I tried to live my life following the law, doing all this kind of stuff. I think I told you guys this story just really quick. I'll tell it again. When I was 13, even under the law in my household uh, in Hawaii, under the law, even then, I feel like there was a moment where there possibly was salvation. 
And it was funny because it was the, the realization that my grandmother, my grandfather, they told me like, yeah, you know, if you say a bad word, you're, that's a sin. And if you sin, you're going to go to hell. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, I won't say the bad word, but what if I think it? Oh, yeah, that's sin in your heart, Shane. It's in your mind. You're still going to go. That's still sin. You're going to go to hell for that. And I remember that entire day. I just was trying to shut my mind off and stop thinking. And then I started going, okay, I sinned. I sinned. I sinned. And the whole day I tried to not think of any bad words. And it just kept popping up. And I remember it was to the, the whole day, I'm trying to do this, and I was taking a shower that night, because in Hawaii we take a shower at night. Um, that night, taking a shower, I finally, in the tub, I fell to my knees and I said, God, I can't do this. There's no way. I cannot stop thinking about these words. If you don't help me, I'm going to go to hell. 13-year-old, never heard the gospel, and I was like, Will you please save me from this? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow, even then, I was driven to the realization that we couldn't. And it was like at that moment, there was a little bit of peace. And then that, that, next, that next summer, I'm, I'm over in Texas with my grandmother, my grandfather, and these guys in Texas, boy, these guys were Christian Christians. <laughs> and and, and my, my grandparents, these were not, they, you know, my, my family in Hawaii, they mixed Christianity and Buddhism. My family here, they mixed Christianity and Texasism. This was Texas Christianity, man. You know, it was like when they preached the gospel, it was like Yosemite Sam gospel preaching. Oh, man. And we heard the gospel for the first time. And man, I tell you what, that night where me and my sister gave our lives to Christ and, and, we, and we believed and, and it was truly converted, and true conversion. And it was just all I can say at that moment Shane, can you describe that awesome moment that you talk about all the time? Yes, the only way I can describe it is, it was like a peace. I cannot explain it. It was like a peace that came over my life. You see how important it is? Even, even when we don't know, we know. And that's the only way we can describe this wonderful, awesome thing, is that it was peace. We can't go through life without peace. We can't be victorious in battle without peace. Peace is our foundation. We can't do what the Lord has called us to do without peace. God did not call us to survive. Christ did not call us to be victims. He called us to overcome. God called us to be victorious in life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go into the world and make disciples because you'll probably lose Mm -mm. No, that's not what the Bible says. Why do you think God told us when he sent us out there that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him? He said that so that we know we cannot lose. Go out there and be victorious. His will will be done. Uh, the famous epigram, 
uh, you guys have probably heard this. The cobbler's children have no shoes. The shoemaker whose children have no shoes. It expresses the irony of missing that which is so sure, that so surely ought to be ours because of our relationship and position. Surely the children of a shoemaker would have shoes. If we are Christians, surely we have peace. Surely you have peace today. But the tragic irony is that many of us do not have the peace of God because we've pushed it away through rebellion, neglect, ignorance. We're finding temporary relief and we think it's peace. There is a difference between peace and relief. And when it gets real, we come unglued and we unravel. And as a result, we're ever failing in battle. We bail, we fail, we're losing our struggles, we're failing our tests. When time gets rough, it's more common for us to escape than to endure. When the going gets rough, we don't persevere, we panic, we don't fight, we flight. There is no peace apart from Christ because we don't trust or because when he delivers, it's not in accordance to what we believe our purpose is here on earth. And you know what else is happening? Our fellow warriors find us a burden rather than a blessing. We Christians in our culture, we just don't Christian in our culture anymore. We just don't help anymore. We just look out for ourselves. Many times we see Christians getting beat down by the world and we just walk away. Well, they were the loved ones that opened, or they were the ones that opened their mouths in the first place. When Christians are persecuted, we think that it's their fault because you know what? The persecution that you are experiencing, Shane, is because you opened your mouth and you told them about the gospel. Now they're all upset. Now they're coming after you and you need me to bail you out? I heard a Christian actually say that once. They wanted, they'll say to that individual, hey, look, that person, he preached the gospel. He was the one that wanted to talk to these people about God and look at what's happening to him. That's his fault. He's only get, getting what he deserves. What? Only getting what we deserve? We're supposed to be there for each other, aren't we? And it's easier to fight a battle when you're on the line about to fight and the soldier standing next to you is ready to fight too. And the soldier standing here is ready to fight too. Not whining, not complaining, not saying this is the, you know, if this thing gets too bad, I'm, I'm out of here. If this thing gets too rough, I'm out of here. You know, we're supposed to be victorious, so I'm going to fight this battle, but the minute I find out that we're losing, I'm out of here. I don't want that guy standing next to me. It's just like, you know, you know, you go, go stand by one of these Marines. Go stand by Frank. The, these guys are Marines. They'll, they'll fight no matter who's standing next to him. <laughs> I, I ain't fight. I ain't fighting with that. You know, if you're, if you're worried, you know, if you're worried about the battle, you're complaining about the battle, I don't want you next to me. If you're in the Air Force, I don't want you next to me. You know, I just don't want, just kidding. Come on, come on. 
you know, it was, in, it was interesting when you, when you go through Deuteronomy and you talk about the war and, and you see God's commandment with the war about what they're supposed to happen. You know, if you, if you just built a house, go home so that you can enjoy your house because you might die in the battle and you're not going to enjoy it. You planted a vineyard, you know, go, go home, go enjoy the vineyard. You might get killed in the battle and you won't be able to enjoy the vineyard. You just got married. Go home, you know, you know have, have, have some time with your wife because you might get killed in the battle and you won't actually be able to enjoy any, any, uh, any married life. But do you know what the last one was that I thought was interesting? If any of you guys are worried, if you're scared, if you're timid and you're not sure about this battle, go home. God says in his word, if that's how you are, go home lest you stay here and affect everybody else and infect them with your cowardice and, and make everybody timid to fight the war. You're no good without peace because you won't be good in the battle. We're all supposed to be preaching the gospel. We're all supposed to be preaching peace and hope. We're all supposed to be. The question is, are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we afraid of the world? Are we too afraid to get canceled today? What would be worse, being canceled by our culture or being condemned by God? Whoa. See, that's the thing I say about like, Christianity. It's like people will be like, well, you know, Christians, you know, today... Christians, they're afraid of getting canceled. That's the reason why they don't want to say stuff. They don't want to be canceled by the culture, so they're not saying what it is that they need to say. Do you realize today in our culture, if you are a Christian, you are already canceled. You don't have to worry about, hey, I don't want to get canceled. No, you, if you are a Christian, you are canceled. It's done already. <laughs> it's done we're already a counterculture. We already are counter to the culture. We're already there. It's already happened. This is why we continue to do it. We continue to preach the word. We continue to face the quote-unquote canceling stuff because we're already canceled. We got nothing left to lose. Everything that I have is in Christ. And I'll tell you what, nobody, nothing in this world will be able to take that away from me. That's the real issue though, isn't it? Trying to find peace in a world. We look for it from the world, but the world can't provide the peace that we need. We think it does. We think we will get it. And then when people do get it, they find that it's not any peace at all. This is the unrest of sin. It is the reality of sin. And sin continues to bring dissatisfaction and unrest, yet we are so deceived and so disillusioned that we know it does not bring peace and rest, but we still pursue it. We think that rising inflation and the looming recession is our unrest. No, the reality is it is the wrath and judgment of God that will be our greatest of tragedies for a person. What good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 
It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. We have been warned time and time again in the scriptures. God is coming to judge the quick and the dead. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We are all born children of wrath. We are by nature enemies of God. (laughs) That's some serious problem. It's a serious problem. But family, our loving Heavenly Father sent His one and only Son, a baby born in the manger in Bethlehem, our Savior, Christ the Lord, glory to God in the highest, highest heaven, peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Salvation came. Salvation has come. Our loving Heavenly Father sent Jesus to come. We have peace because here it is, the gospel. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Man, we have life and life more abundant in Christ. We have peace, we have power, we have his love and fellowship. We can be ready, we can overcome. And this holiday season, we can rejoice for our king has come. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and he has come. The angels sing glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and the love that we have in Christ. And we thank him for his gospel. The Bible also says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is here. Salvation's for all. Salvation, grace, upon grace, upon grace. We have it all in Christ and it can only come from Christ. So this holiday season, let's fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.